fire breathing, wind machines, candles on our heads, bundles of wheat instead of flowers, speaking in tongues. Doesn't it seem to you that we should be doing something special today? You know, some sort of special practice of remembering Pentecost? And we have the red banners and all, and, but there should be more. After all, you and I would not have received the Holy Spirit and, and the gift of faith without the day of Pentecost. It's as important an event as Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, and the Ascension. You take any of these events out of the narrative of God's plan of salvation and it's like one of those older strings of uh, Christmas tree lights. You know, you pull one bulb out and the whole thing goes out. Yet, Pentecost is a festival in the Christian church worthy of more than the color red. Don't you think? We could have a giant fan up here, you know? Like one of those... uh, fans on movie sets that simulate hurricane force winds. We could let the mighty rushing sound of wind fill this house and blast you in the face and we would remember the power of the Holy Spirit. We could all take a swig from a bottle of vodka or Everclear without swallowing it, light a match in front of our mouths and blow. Just watch out for the person's hair sitting in front of you. But that would be cool, wouldn't it? Actually, it would be very hot. But we could, repli- we could replicate the tongues of fire on Pentecost. Or we could put candles or uh, sterno cans on our heads because it says here in Acts that the tongues of fire rested on them. Now, what is that all about? You know, we really don't know anything about this other than what it says. So we're left wondering what it really looked like. It's one of the more bizarre passages in Scripture, kind of like that one from Ezekiel. Perhaps that's why they put it on the same Sunday, just to give you a totally bizarre uh, day in church. But uh, you can search the best commentaries, the best Bible studies, and there just isn't anything to explain what this looked like. Speaking of tongues, we could speak in tongues. We could all take a crash course in various ancient languages of Judea and Mesopotamia and Asia and proclaim the mighty works of God to remember and celebrate that wondrous day it happened so long ago. How about instead of coming to church, we all go to Multnomah Falls and stand under the waterfall? Yeah? Because Peter in his sermon here, quotes the prophet Joel, whom God has spoken through, saying, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Yeah, waterfall. That's what we all need to remember and re-experience Pentecost every year. Yeah? Then again, maybe not. We can't get access to Multnomah Falls that close, let alone survive it if, if we were able to under, or, uh, stand underneath it. How about a smaller version of it in church here? Instead of a a, a screen and speaker system, how about we install a little waterfall over there and we can stand under it once a year on Pentecost? 
I'm being whimsical, I know, you know. I mean, we don't do these things any more than we charm snakes or wash each other's feet or tear a big curtain in half up here or any number of things from the Bible to remember some significant event. But I will circle back to the wheat thing. We actually could put bundles of wheat all around the church as a decoration to remind us that Pentecost was originally a festival where the Israelites, 50 days after the Feast of the Passover, celebrated their first harvest of spring wheat. It was their first moment of having plenty of something after the winter when they had meager rations to get them through. Now, you know, know, winter in Judea isn't like winter in the heartland of North America, okay? But still, it gets cold enough where their strains of wheats and crops, you know, it kind of dwindles during the colder months. You see, we also gather here for a harvest festival of sorts on this day every year. It's a harvest which, which Jesus Christ saw ripe and ready and to which he sent out his first disciples and us, his current ones. Now this harvest is a great deal of work. It was hard for the Jews back then too. I mean, they would bring their lambs and their best bread made from their uh, new spring grains to the temple to sacrifice and for worship. And it was toil and it reminded them that it was by the sweat on their foreheads that they harvested. It's a little different for us now in the days of the New Testament, but Pentecost can remind us that this harvest is still hard work. We don't sacrifice lambs and bring food to offer God and worship anymore, but it's a kind of toil to spend half your day in the car in Portland traffic just for one hospital visit. It's a kind of toil to grind out sermons for Sundays which seem to come more frequently than seven days. Oh, some weeks if I could just have that eighth day that God didn't create. But I know the harvest is hard for you too. More often than me, I think, you confront a world which doesn't always think very highly of your faith in Jesus or in a God in general. Much of the world sees abuse of power and manipulation in the Christian church. To them, the church is just another corrupt government or type of organization. Or your work in loving your neighbor as Christ loves you and all you do for them is considered irrelevant in a world which is asking more and more for immediate action and justice, not more thoughts and prayers. But there is joy in the harvest, is there not? There, there can be, you know. For me, joy comes in, you know, seeing you every time I see you at church. There's joy in the midst of grief when a family member says to me after a funeral, what a wonderful service that was. Thank you. There's joy in those 15-minute hospital visits even though it took an hour and a half to get there. And you know the joys of this harvest too. Joy in meeting someone new. Joy in witnessing baptisms and confirmations. Being reassured that despite the indifference to our faith by much of the world, the Spirit is still alive and active ever since Pentecost, bringing faith and salvation to people. 
This kind of joy has empowered martyrs since the days of the apostles to sing on the way to their deaths. The Spirit has given hope to slaves under the hand of cruel masters. He sustained women and men of all ages in hopeless situations and even kept a few pastors going when memberships declined and budgets weren't met. Once again, you and I have come to Pentecost, the day God poured His Spirit out onto the world. It's a mystery of the church. Like a mustard seed, a small group of people, you know, those first disciples, is cast into the ground and it doesn't look like it should work, but it spouts and grows into something bigger, a bigger shrub. Cut it down and destroy it and you're simply planting it anew to sprout and grow again. The Romans found out, they, they, they found this out when they tried to kill the church through their persecution campaigns. It just grew and sprouted in other little pockets and areas. Again and again, the Spirit works and the church lives. You've probably read articles in which Christianity has been declared dead. I mean, I've been reading for years that more and more Americans are describing themselves as nuns, you know, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. You know, they have, they, they have no association with uh, any religious way of thought or group. But I wonder if the researchers ignore the massive growth of Christianity worldwide and assume that nuns are not Christian. The fact is the Christian church has marched on is a great mystery let alone that this congregation's been going on for over 140 years. It's a mystery of God, how it all works. And it's a joyous thing to celebrate. Yeah, some of us have our little rebellions from time to time and fall away, but the church goes on thanks to the Holy Spirit who's been at this since day one, that the mysterious and awesome day in Jerusalem still goes on it seems kind of cliche to something to to say something like uh, every day is Pentecost because you have the Holy Spirit you know because we also say every day is Christmas because we have Christ in our lives every day is Easter because he rose from the grave and so do we a cliche or not though there's so much more to the outpouring of the Spirit on you than I could ever stand up here and convey uh, convey to you. Or that you could read in a theology book or a devotional or a Bible study or Sunday school lesson. I mean, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ who saved you from death and sin and you're here to receive all the goods He has to give to you in this service, then you're experiencing the outpouring of the Spirit. You're living in Him and He's living in you. Perhaps there's some sort of uh, protection mechanism in the human body the Spirit activates when He enters into us because we couldn't survive the complete understanding of the mystery of His love and power. Perhaps it would actually be like standing under Multnomah Falls. We'd be crushed. Or our heads would explode or something. But the day will come when we will fully and completely understand God's love and His power because we will be in heaven when all things will be revealed and we will be with the Lord 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect communion. Blowtorches, fans, wheat, gimmicks, I suppose. <laughs> Let's just let the Word and the Spirit do their job in our hearts and minds and let Jesus forgive us and renew us with His presence at this table today. This meal is certainly not a gimmick. It's the real thing. So happy Pentecost to you. Go out for lunch today, whatever. <laughs> Rejoice in the Holy Spirit. And as cliche as it sounds, every day is Pentecost because God continually pours out His love and forgiveness and grace onto you and me. Amen.